In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. War in Europe. Putin chose this war. And now he and his country will bear the consequences. So what does it mean for Georgia? Welcome to Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, here with Patricia Murphy. We are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're listening to us for the first time, or you just haven't gotten around to it yet, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or really wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Patricia, we had other things we plan to talk about to wrap up the week, but the invasion of Ukraine has changed everything. Yes, as is often the case, um, the crises you don't expect are the ones that really end up taking a lot of attention and really end up driving a lot of the dynamics, um, even in election year and sometimes especially in an election year. Yeah, this is a tragedy of epic proportions. It's affecting tens of millions of innocent Ukrainians as we speak, could establish a new international order, a new realignment in international relations, um, fundamentally changes Europe biggest conflict in Europe since World War II, at least or generations, and biggest land war in Europe since 1945. Of course, there's also political ramifications. It is impossible for us to predict how this will affect November, but we can reasonably predict it could affect November, um, as, as we've already heard rhetoric from both sides of the aisle. And that's what we kind of want to dig into today, because Patricia, as, as you covered in your column that's out this morning, we heard a lot. We heard a lot of um, we heard a lot of accusations from Republicans, a lot of sort of um, defensive statements from Democrats over Joe Biden's handling of this crisis. That's exactly right. Um, I also sort of am processing what we're hearing into two buckets. I see this as a real test of leadership for people who are already elected to office. How are our two new senators uh, functioning with their first foreign policy crisis? And um, also even Governor Kemp has been out there uh, uh, putting out a statement before dawn today. And uh, then I think for the people who are running for office, how would they do this differently? What is the tone that they're setting? And so we're, we've seen a real, um, a real range in both of those camps. And I think we're learning a lot about all of these leaders and all of these candidates in the process. Okay, let's dig into that. Because what, what have you learned from statements from, let's say, the candidates for Senate, uh, especially on the Republican side? Yeah, so on the Republican side, it's just been really fascinating to watch. I think that we see the candidates who have military experience have a much more detailed, nuanced response to what we're watching. I'm going to put Latham Sadler really at the top of that list. Mm -hmm. 
Sadler is a former Navy SEAL. He deployed on missions into Iraq and Afghanistan. He was on the National Security Council. And so he talks um, in significant detail about sanctions, talks about um, putting a, a posture forward that is nuanced, uh, that has multiple levels. Um, and I think that his foreign policy experience is really demonstrated in a moment like this. Flip that to the other side of the spectrum and Herschel Walker, who has no foreign policy experience because this just isn't his area, uh, he put out a statement on Thursday evening that really mirrors almost exactly what President Trump has been saying, um, hammering Joe Biden, blaming Joe Biden for this crisis and making no mention of Vladimir Putin. And so I think that this tells us we have in somebody like uh, Latham Sadler um, acting independently and processing this information independently because this is his area and other less experienced candidates are going to be looking, frankly, for talking points from other people with experience or other people whose support they need. And for somebody like Herschel Walker, um, for some other Trump first candidates, we have seen some kind of Trump-esque statements in the process. Yeah, let me read a snippet of Herschel Walker's statement that, that you're right, came out pretty late in, in on Thursday. It's, quote, we need to take a hard look in the mirror and see what mistakes were made and correct them immediately. The world will be a safer place when America is respected once again. So that is Herschel Walker saying, look internally. You know, there, there has not been this um, rally around the flag rhetoric at all that we're seeing from Republicans. Instead, we're, we're hearing a lot of criticism of Joe Biden, calling him weak, um, calling his, his, his response uh, ineffective and blaming him for Vladimir Putin's um, engagement and invasion of Ukraine. And Democrats, meanwhile, and a lot of foreign policy experts are also sort of echoing this, that, that, that Joe Biden is doing, has done everything possible to deter an invasion without committing U.S. forces to Ukraine, which is something he's not going to do. Ukraine's not part of the Atlantic Alliance, and America is not ready to engage with Russia on that level. But there's repositioning troops around Ukraine right now. There's economic sanctions that have been escalating uh, amid the invasion. And there's been a strengthening of the European alliance. Uh, NATO, you know, not that long ago was kind of looked at as a sort of afterthought. Now it's as important as it's ever been. Yeah. And I think that there is a debate even among Democrats about um, when should sanctions be imposed or when should they have been imposed? Um, what sanctions, how tough, how extreme, how severe? Um, because Ukraine and Russia are so uh, tied into the rest of Europe, sanctions against Russia um, that affect also Ukraine are also inevitably going to affect Europe. And so there's a balancing act there. And national security experts I've spoken with really did urge to hold off on sanctions as a as a deterrent, as a punishment. Obviously, those sanctions, the threat of those sanctions did not deter Putin now in this case, but also we're dealing with the first time in decades with a nuclear power. And how aggressive can you be with a nuclear power with troops amassed? But exactly what's the point where you sort of take a situation further than you intended it to go. And so it's a real balancing act. Um, my own opinion here is that the more that Americans are united together, the stronger we are inherently in that process. It doesn't mean to have blind allegiance to the policy, but to have 
allegiance to the country in this moment and to the leader in this moment, um, I think strengthens the United States in the process and in that negotiation and in uh, those sanctions in the process. Um, you know, Patricia, what, what strikes me too is that in some other states, some top tier candidates were for, for public office were echoing not just attacks on Biden, but also pro-Putin propaganda, you know, saying either they want to stay out of it they they feel like America has no role in this conflict whatsoever, or even saying that Putin had a right to invade and has a right to be belligerent, and that he's a strong man. You kind of kind of parroting exactly what Trump said that he's a genius and all these all these all these compliments of Putin. We didn't see that at least from the the, the top Republican statewide candidates in Georgia. Instead, we did see them criticizing Bi- Biden, um, but we did not see them going so far as to as to praise and tout Putin. But one other thing we didn't see, we didn't see any of those candidates condemn Trump for doing so. That's exactly right. When Ukraine was invaded by Russia, there actually was a Trump fundraiser in the process. And um, Donald Trump spoke exactly to this issue. And he said um, that had he been in charge, this never would have happened. And uh, But he gave Uh, Vladimir Putin a lot of credit saying, listen, I mean, what a smart guy. He was able to get in there for $2 worth of sanctions. And by the way, this also never never would have happened if there hadn't been that rigged election. And so he used even this as an opportunity to push his election fraud lies and uh, tie it even to everything that we're seeing now. And so it was just, to me, a really parallel universe. He got a huge applause um, when he said that, when he talked about there being a rigged election in this context. Um, And of course, that was a fundraiser for Herschel Walker and a number of other House and Senate candidates. Um, I will say that some uh, Republicans in the state who are not statewide but are up for re-election, members of the House especially, Somebody like uh, Austin Scott, uh, Buddy Carter, very tough on Putin, um, came out very quickly. Um, Austin Scott in particular is really steeped in foreign policy and national security issues. He was in Brussels this week with NATO, um, going through conversations with the NATO parliament. And so he's um, kind of deep in the weeds on this kind of stuff. And he um, certainly did not take that tack uh, that Donald Trump was taking. Yeah, you know, it strikes me too is that you know, we have these candidates now talking about foreign policy, where it really hasn't been a factor in any of the 2022 races yet, and certainly wasn't a major factor in 2020 either. I mean, in 2020, we were on the we were on shows like Politically Georgia talking about the pandemic, about the econ- economic fallout, um, uh, talking about domestic issues, and when we were talking about foreign policy, we were t- kind of talking about in the context of political attacks, David Perdue in China, John Ossoff is a secret communist, those, those false charges, Raphael Warnock's stance on Israel. It was in that context, not in a this, this wider international policy approach. And very few debates even brought up foreign policy. Yeah, and I think we can just go ahead and, and know and understand that's not going to be the case for 2022. I mean, this is a real game changer, and this is the type of situation that does not get resolved overnight. We don't know how long it'll last, but it really has changed, frankly, the international world order and the United States' role in it and the United States' uh, responsibility toward our European allies. All of that now is on the table. And it, it, at least on the Republican side of the aisle, is up for debate as well. Um, so I don't know that we will have seen 
an election with this kind of a foreign policy dynamic, maybe even since 2002 and 2004, mm-hmm. um, in the years after the attacks on 9-11 and the United States had gone into Iraq and Afghanistan. And those um, those issues were really up for debate, very hot topics of debate. Um, I think uh, we could be really headed in that direction. I don't know exactly what that means for the types of candidates that voters are going to be looking for, but it, it is going to push these candidates in a way on this issue that I do not think we would have been expecting at this point in a regular election year. I don't think we would be looking to Herschel Walker to have a ready answer on our NATO allies and um, our Section 5 obligations. That's just not where this campaign was going. And now that's where we are. And now those are even more important questions. You're right. We'll, we'll see how this affects the candidates on the campaign trail. One thing that a, a shrewd Republican analyst had t- told me was that he predicts that it will favor more serious issues, you know, that culture wars, topics, um, gender neutral bathrooms, things that were designed to rile up uh, the base of the party, they're still out there. They're still they're still important to energize Republicans, but they'll take a lesser role. They'll take a back seat to foreign policy for a little bit. We'll see if that if that actually is how it plays out. There's a long way to go, even to the May May twenty fourth primary. But I agree with you. This is this ain't going away. This is not a blip on the radar. Um, we're not talking about Af- the Afghanistan retreat anymore. I get that, but. Um, this is a long-term issue, it certainly looks like. And again, sort of could be at least a, a, a possible realignment in the international order, especially if Russia continues to, to, to move towards China in, in, a, in a friendly domestic partnership. Yeah, it feels very existential. And that might just be my how I feel. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to watch these images. It's hard to really process and believe what we're seeing to see the second largest country in Europe invaded by the largest country in Europe. It really this is not a place where I don't think any of us really thought we were going to be. And I do think that voters are going to be looking to somebody. They don't have to be experts on this, but I think they have to have a strong sort of internal compass on this and have a strong um, philosophical belief on the United States role in the world. Uh, Now, there's a strong element in the Republican Party on uh, the far right that uh, the United States role in the world Really, the United States should not have a particular role in the world. They should be focused on our southern border, not on the border between Ukraine and Russia. And um, I think that's going to be something that really needs to get sorted out among Republicans. I don't know if that is going to play any role. I can't imagine that it really will in a governor's debate. But I do think um, it is going to push these candidates, especially in the Senate races and even in these um, in these Republican primaries that we've got coming up, it's going to push them to really articulate on these issues, um, and a, I would assume most of them had not thought they would need to prepare for a conversation of this depth at this time, but I'm very sure they're getting up to speed quickly. I'm glad you brought that up because foreign policy is traditionally the province of, of federal lawmakers, of senators and congress members, um, because the state has little role. But in this case, Foreign policy is going to play even in the governor's race and even in other statewide offices. And one of the reasons why is because of the economic impact. We're already seeing gas prices, even before this, fluctuate and begin to rise. It's already a major concern about inflation and about scarcity of household products in grocery stores and convenience stores. And there's little chance that 
basically a, a, an international conflict in, in Europe is is not likely to make a gas shortage any any easier, right? So you're already seeing the beginnings of an economic impact. Certainly, we'll start to hear more from all three of the gubernatorial candidates about their plans to to sort of curb the economic impact of whatever might happen down the road with gas prices and, and, and inflation. On Thursday, the governor was in Savannah to talk about the state of the ports, but he took several questions afterwards about the war, including the Georgia National Guard troops that have been deployed to assist. And I certainly would ask all Georgians to have our men and women in the military and those that are serving overseas or even just moving supplies to the region uh, to be helpful, uh, to keep them in your thoughts and prayers. There's also concerns about Russian cyber attacks targeting Georgia. We're obviously on high alert like everybody has been. This is something that you deal with every single day regardless. And worries about keeping the supply chain flowing. Well, look, we've done state of emergencies in the past to help our logistics and our supply chain. We have one currently in place. We're, we're looking at all those things. We will use any option that we have to keep commerce moving through our state. And Patricia, President Biden said he would take every every action he could to sort of insulate Americans from any sort of harm or, or fallout from this broader conflict, but there's, we're going to feel pain. I mean, there, there's going to be economic uh, repercussions for the, uh, the, the sanctions against Russia um, and potentially, as, as the governor said, potential cyber attacks from a country that we've known has targeted uh, U.S. institutions in the past online. Yeah, we already saw a huge pullback on Thursday afternoon in the American markets. Um, I think that the entire economy is sort of sort of shuddering, kind of feel it shuddering a little bit. And people are trying to figure out what direction this is going to go in. Um, but I know that you and I have both talked to people who said they fully expect higher, not just higher gas prices, even higher food prices. Uh, certainly this could exacerbate problems with the supply chain. Um, I had actually not even thought about the kind of challenges that governors and even mayors are going to have to deal with thinking about possible cyber attacks. And so it's really going to be a point of um, pressing leadership to um, to deal with things that they uh, really may not have had to deal with right here on the heels of COVID. And so it's a real um, kind of an opportunity and a danger for sitting leaders. And then it's also going to be a point, um, I think it'll be a balancing act for people running against them, challenging them to know when to say, I, I would have done that better versus dunking on someone who is um, kind of uh, working uh, to deal with the ramifications of something that they didn't have anything to do with starting. Um, but I think it's really going to be those, uh, the prices of, uh, food, gas, all that, that's really going to hit people, um, at home and their pocketbooks. It's already been a problem. I know that, um, I think, uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock have been really working to respond to that. All Democrats are working to message on that because inflation is a significant problem already. This is probably going to um, uh, exacerbate that. And so it's going to be, uh, I think we're going to have kind of cascading effects depending on how long this goes on. Yeah, I think it'll be at the very least economic uncertainty that will play into the campaign trail. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com 
and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. We're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We remind you, every morning, every weekday morning, the jolt can be delivered right to your mailbox. It's only available for subscribers, and we are hard at work at it every night and early every morning for you, our subscribers and listeners. And Patricia, no surprise here, but we're planning to lead the Friday jolt with some more news about Ukraine, and, and particularly the Trump-endorsed Georgia candidates and their thoughts on the former president saying very nice things about Vladimir Putin, calling him a genius, um, saying that he was very smart, even in the middle of the Ukrainian invasion. So we'll hear from some candidates about what they think about his remarks. And I think that's um, a good place to begin the jolt because we hear from um, a number of readers. We get obviously a lot of response to what uh, Donald Trump is saying in his public remarks about Putin. And um, the follow-up question is, what do the supporters of Donald Trump think about what he's saying? Do they agree with this? And not all Trump supporters agree with everything that Donald Trump says. So I think it's fair to ask the candidates uh, where they are on that. And and many of them, I think, are um, happy to clarify. Some of them would rather not talk about it, but I think it's important for us to ask anyway. Yeah, I was, I was talking to the candidates, some of them, you know, there's always a little bristling about, oh, why do you always have to ask me about Trump? But in this this case, A, we haven't asked them about <laughs> Trump's uh, latest remarks very uh, in, in probably years. But B, it wasn't just that Trump criticized Biden, which is one thing, right? It is that he praised a dictator who is leading the, who's orchestrating the, the largest land war in Europe since 1945. So anyway, that's why this sort of deserved um a closer look. Uh, Patricia, we have a mailbag every week. And folks, listeners, you can email Patricia with your questions at pmurphy at ajc.com. It's so easy to remember. You can actually email her with anything you want, but <laughs> uh, requests, anything. but really questions for our podcast, pmurphy at ajc.com. And she's got a doozy right now. Okay. Um, yes. And I've actually been getting a number of mailbag questions, but this is my favorite one this week. Um, Greg and Patricia. This is, by the way, this is from Elise McDonald in Jessup, Georgia. Elise, thank you for your question. Guys, I know y'all are on the road a lot. What is your favorite playlist? Is it podcasts? Is it music? What gets you through those hours on the road? Well, it better be podcast. Elise, what a great, yeah, Elise. What a great question. Do you listen to the Politically Georgia podcast, Greg? <laughs> just listen to myself listen back over to and yourself. over and over again. <laughs> how did you guess that? No, I do not listen to my myself over and over again. You've got Breakdown, listened... you've got the Hawks Report, you've got the Braves Report, yeah. you've got Southern Fried Soccer, you've got just Access the AJC oh, oh. channel. I listen to anything Jay Black has touched, but I will say, and I'm looking up the exact name of it, I am obsessed with a certain podcast. It's called Hardcore History. 
And we're talking like they only come out with like one episode every year, but each episode is like five or six hours. And his name is Dan Carlin. And he goes into, I mean, in depth uh, about, uh, you know, one of the last episodes is about the, the Asian theater in World War II and the naval battles. And like, I'll sit there, I'll listen to it. I'll, when I'm jogging, I'll listen to it. And I'll get done with a pretty long jog and still have only gotten through like a, a eighth of, of the podcast. So I listen to that a lot. And I like my, uh, I like my nineties, uh, uh, playlist. So I listen to that a lot. What about you, Patricia? At least what a great question. I know. Uh, so let's see. I, I love some country music. I love country music. So I'm always doing country music or for podcasts. There's actually a country music podcast with songwriters. And I love to listen to songwriters talk about their process. I don't know why. I just think maybe it'd be cool to be in a writer's circle in Nashville for some reason. Um, and then I also listen to this uh, simplified podcast about like how to be a Zen mom. <laughs> <laughs> like how to organize your class. Is it working? No, it's not. Is it working? No. <laughs> no, but I thought if I listened to the same podcast over and over, eventually it would sink in. That's great. Well, at least we love that question. It's fun not talking about politics for once. And you can tell from both of us, we live in the political world. Our phones are full with text messages and calls from political operators. And that's great. That's part of our job. But um, uh, it sounds like when we're when we go home or when we're driving, we kind of stay away from the political stuff sometimes. So that's that's good. And Patricia, my favorite country song right now is that "Buy Dirt" song. Every time that comes up, "Buy Dirt," oh, I love that song, and it makes me like want to call family find a girl members. You can't I can't live to without. <laughs> no, isn't it? I find a girl, drop yeah. your knee. Down. It's a good line, right? It's like, but you need to the ground. Your knee yeah. to the ground. reporter on some copyright infringement oh, so here. Oh. <laughs> I don't think we are approximating the song. I, I wouldn't worry about it. No, I don't think we have well, the lyrics. Your right. voices probably aren't, aren't, aren't enough to approach any legal issues, but we just got to be Don't worry. Um, so let's get to the peaches. In, is that what we decided to call it, peaches and pits? I thought we were going to do who's up and who's down. Who's up and who's down? Okay, Patricia. Because you could, up? you know, you could be up one week, one week and down the next, or down one week right. and up the next. You know, we're, right. it's a, it's a, it's a, life is a journey, not a destination here on podcast but dear listeners if you if you have a better idea uh p murphy at ajc.com if you have a better idea we, we're still taking it she welcomes all your emails all the time yes or it could be patricia.murphy at ajc.com also good uh, or greg yes. patricia who is up this week <laughs> <laughs> who's up who's up? i love those emails who's up this week patricia who is up this week i'm going to give my who's up to Congressman Austin Scott, deep in the weeds on uh, foreign policy and defense issues and in Brussels before uh, things really went off the rails. Um, So uh, that's a a member of the Georgia delegation I think everyone should be keeping an eye on, Um, Republican from middle Georgia. Uh, Robin's Air Force Base is in his backyard, and I think he'll be a, an important voice on these foreign policy issues to pay attention to. And he's been working on them before we all started paying attention to them. Uh, my who's up, I'll stick. I'll keep with the international affairs theme. Israel. Sounds weird, but Governor Kemp signed a measure into law just a few days ago that requires businesses with significant state contracts to sign an oath pledging not to boycott Israel. This is a, a, a key policy item for the Israeli government. And for Jewish leaders um, and evangelical Christians who all showed up at the bill signing on Monday to celebrate this measure, 
There's still major concerns, including the fact that a federal judge struck down an earlier version of this law. Sponsors feel like they have have, have changed it um, enough to, to make it withstand legal scrutiny. We'll see. But at least for now, keeping with that theme, who knows what will happen. But for now, Israel uh, had, a, had a pretty good week in Georgia. Patricia, we'll let you lead off with who's down now. Who's down? Okay, Greg, you're actually going to have to help me name names on this because I don't know exactly who did it. And I don't know if you know either. But whoever sent the mailer for school vouchers (laughs) and uh, uh, for some reason decided to attack uh, Republicans whose support they needed in the process and uh, therefore got the entire effort killed by Speaker David Ralston for the entire session. That was not smart. And he called it the dumbest thing he's ever seen. So not only have you uh, uh, you really not done yourself any favors, you have been called the dumbest thing I've ever seen by a House speaker who has seen plenty of dumb things. So whoever you are out there, you're down. Well, Patricia, you stole my loser, my downer. But yes, it was going to be the school voucher movement because it was a group called the American Federation for Children. They finance mailers in at least 16 Republican-controlled legislative districts. Oh man, these and these measure these mailers weren't just you know neutral. These aren't just your typical mailer. They had the picture of the lawmaker they were targeting, their phone number, their office phone number, below images of Stacey Abrams, of Vice President Kamala Harris of Joe Biden. And they said, uh, essentially, uh, stand up to the radical left. Uh, The radical left want to cancel your right to choose your child's school. Those mailers hit over the weekend. By the time lawmakers came back to the Capitol after the president's weekend break on Tuesday, they were infuriated. That that is to say the least. I mean, just, just all over the, there was buzzing all over the Capitol halls, wondering why this group was going to uh, target lawmakers in this fashion because the, it's not like there's a, there hasn't been a vote against this. This is still this was still in the works. Like there, there, it wasn't being held up. It actually had cleared some early legislative hurdles. Speaker Ralston indeed said that here I'm quoting him. Quote, I am livid. I've been around politics for a long time, but this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my career and one of the most deceitful. These are people we have tried to help over the years and they turn to attack us very viciously. That voucher legislation will not move at all in the Georgia House of Representatives this year, period. And uh, a couple hours after my story in this posted, the sponsor of the bill went up to say, and this is a guy, Wes Cantrell, who's been pushing this issue for a very long time. And this is also his last year in the legislature. Um, He was hoping this would be his sort of parting gift. And instead, he also went out and disavowed this, this group saying, whoever gave them that idea... Uh, to uh, to send out those mailers was basically f- <laughs> wrongheaded, and uh, he disavowed that group. So, pretty strong words from from House Republicans. Really, words that we don't hear Speaker Ralston say that much. And it's the second big bill to have died an early death in the Capitol behind cityhood of Buckhead legislation. So, quite the statement from Speaker Ralston. Yeah, there are, we've seen a trend of more and more issues being pushed by national outside organizations across multiple state legislatures at the same time. Um, Usually that seems to signal that an effort is going to have, is going to be stronger than others. It will have more money behind it. It's better organized. um, And there's some sort of uh, kind of larger effort that's going to push it through. And the Georgia legislature is just sort of 
one of several efforts that it's going to be getting through uh, that same year. In this case, the nationalized effort really blew up in their faces because um, for a local lawmaker to get that kind of a mailer in their own neighborhood with their face on it, um, uh, that was uh, not smart. And um, obviously, has that bill has died an early death. Brutal. Well, that's our show for the day. If you're not a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal Constitution, go to subscribe.ajc.com backslash podcast to get your first month of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That is subscribe.ajc.com backslash podcast so you know what's really going on and you can help us press on. See you next week. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,